Welcome to the Haunted Estate. Hello, I am your host, Selena Myers. I am a home reader and paranormal enthusiast, and I fell in love with podcasts like Lex Wall's Anything Ghost and Real Ghost Stories Online with Tony and Jenny Bruski. And I think that maybe there is just a little bit of room for one more podcast like this. I want to talk about paranormal subjects and go deeper into your stories. I would love to get to know all of you and slither my way into your paranormal life. Please visit our website at thehauntedestate.com. Here you will find ways to contact us, like our toll-free number where you can record your story at 1-877-260-3428. Tell us your paranormal story, ghost story, or anything in between. And I hope you enjoy this, the first installment of The Haunted Estate. So I bet you guys are just sitting around being like, um, who is this chick and what is she doing here? So as I said, my name is Selena Myers. Yes, I wish that my husband was Michael Myers. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. How gruesome. His name's Adam. It is what it is. Anyways, the reason why I'm here is because I completely love all the podcasts that are out there, as mentioned before. And I love the way that they run just story after story after story. I love the banter between Tony and Jenny Bruce. And if you're finding this and somehow you haven't heard of them, they are real ghost stories online and they are amazing. This podcast, I want to be a little bit different. I want to talk about a paranormal, a paranormal, oh gosh, I'm going to say that so many times and screw it up, (laughs) paranormal subjects. And I want to take a few stories and go really deep into those and answer some questions for you guys. Now, hmm, who's this chick? Why does she think she can answer our questions? And this is why. I am 24 years old and I am from Canada, but I've spent the better part of my whole entire life kind of living a paranormal life. My gifts were realized when I was very, very young, something that I will go into in podcasts to come. And I have made my way across North America working with paranormal teams and parapsychologists, and it has just been such a great experience. But with my gifts, I can't be out on, what do we say that, the war line or something like that all the time it just it takes too much out of me but I still want to be involved so I want to hear your ghost stories I love them and the only way that this podcast is going to work out is if you give me content and that can be given to me if you go to the website which is thehauntedestate.com up in that right corner is a little tiny envelope or or or, or we got a toll-free phone number which is one 260 Three, four, two, eight. So you guys are what's going to make this. I hope that this goes well because it's what I want to do with my life. <laughs> Shout out to everyone out there who listens to Real Ghost Stories Online and Lexa Walls. I love the stories that you have given to them. So to start today, I'd like to talk about black-eyed children. And this is a topic that means um, a lot to me because I've actually heard some real personal stories in my adventures these kids have been a popular topic in pop culture since around 1998. But are these kids real? Are they folklore? A monster? And what could it mean if you see one? Over the years, I've been told exactly three accounts of people seeing black-eyed children. Some stories I believed, and some I questioned. There's just something about a child with black eyes that I find so much scarier than your typical ghost or house spook. 
Maybe it's just so unsettling to see the innocence of a child disturbed by something so demonic. And that's exactly what I've learned. These children are demons in disguise. Demons are known to use pretty or innocent seeming things to invade our lives. Black eyed kids look apparently normal, except that they have completely black eyes. And that means everything, like the whites, the pupils, like just everything. And sometimes they have a pale face. Seemingly have been seen in all kinds of clothes, depending on the culture and area. From stories that I've read, the children range from ages 5 to 16, and personally, from the accounts that I've been told, the children seem to be between the ages of 3 and 10. They are seen in the downtime as the day, as in the early mornings, late evening, and into the midnight hours. And from what I've learned, I've been told that these children have either shown up in a yard, knocked on the front door, or sliding back door, and from my stories, have all asked questions along the same lines. Can I come in? Or, want to come play? According to my internet research, people mention them laughing in a high-pitched, malicious voice and acting erratic or depressed, or as if they're hiding a secret. When trying to research the origin of these children, I have many books and works of literature from parapsychologists, and in my information, I find stories dating back to the 1700s. I've uncovered some about when about the children being seen and knocking on the doors of families, and when being invited in, they just seem to vanish. Days later, a child or family member in the home will die of some flu-like sickness, leading to the advice that I have found everywhere, that if you are approached by one of these children, do not engage them, close the door and walk away as if you don't see them. This makes sense, if somehow those accounts are true. When doing a Google search, to find out when they were first documented, it seems to be in the early 1990s in Abilene, Texas. When I read accounts online and then compare them to each other, it's amazing how many events match up and are along the same lines. Some stories even perfectly describing the same child. It just leaves so many questions about this world, the possibilities of the unknown, and what kind of power it can hold over us. That's my little blog post about black-eyed children. You can find it on the website, thehauntedestate.com. Feel free to like it and share it to your friends. That would be awesome! Today to start, I have exactly two whole stories. How exciting is that? (laughs) The first one, I have not read yet, so we're going to be reading this together, and I'm really excited about that. So it says, Hello, my name is Jackie, and I am from Innerkip, Canada. When I was 13 years old, my parents took me to my very first auction. I was really excited. I, like my older sister, loved how old stuff could go for so cheap. My parents had given us each $20, and we were allowed to use their paddle to bid. We had had about an hour before the auction, so my mom let us walk around to scout out some stuff that we might like to bid on. My sister had seen a framed picture of a horse, but for me, the household section, I saw a pretty little trinket jewelry box. It was pink, see-through glass, with a little white flower on top. At this age, being 13, I was really into girly stuff and needing more storage for my ever-growing Claire's jewelry obsession. Oh girl, I know I've been there. At the time, my mom said it might go for more than $20 because it was from the 1920s. But this didn't keep me from picking it up, and as soon as I touched it, I got zapped. I put it down, and cut it down to the amount of people moseying around, and that there must have been a lot of built-up energy in the room. 
After setting it down, we made our way back to our seats, and I waited for what felt like hours for the auctioneer to finally pick up the box I had my eye on. The bid started at $20, and my heart instantly broke. But there was silence. The auctioneer then asked $15. I was going to raise my paddle, but my mom said to wait. When he finally said five, my mom threw her paddle up, and no one bid against us. I was so happy. For a while. As we rode home, I kept the box on my lap. I couldn't stop staring at it. It was as if I had to look at it. That night, it got to the point when my mom said that I needed to put it down and eat dinner. But even as we ate, the box sat right beside me and I barely broke my line of vision. That night, being afraid of the dark, for other reasons I need to write in about, I sleep with a nightlight. And that night, when I went to bed, I sat the box on my dresser and switched on the nightlight. In the middle of the night, I opened my eyes, not knowing what awoke me. My eyes went right to where I put the box, beside the nightlight. It was around 5 a.m., so the room had a very dull blue light, that kind that only happens when the sun is rising. I sat straight up. My nightlight was out, but that wasn't the weirdest part. There in front of me, about four feet from the end of my bed, stood a woman, her back directly in front of the jewelry box. She, well, back to me, directly in front of the jewelry box. She was as normal as you and I. At first, I thought it was my mom, but the 50s dress and dark pin-curled hair did not match my mom's long blonde hair. I heard the clink as she lifted the box lid and set it to the side, then the tinkle of the necklaces. I sat open-mouthed, completely not sure if I should scream, run, or throw something. I started to see her shoulders turn as if she was turning in slow motion to look at me, or sense that I was awake. Right when I saw the movement, I ripped my covers back, laying back as fast as I could. About five minutes later, when I had the covers up, I finally had the guts to pull them down and notice that she was gone. My door was still shut. There was no place for her to go. I got out of bed and walked over to the dresser. There sat my jewelry box with the lid to the side, the nightlight still out and my heart charm necklace laid out perfectly. I went in and woke up my mom to tell her. Thankfully, my mom is very open-minded and she took me seriously. I was never one to make up stories. She called the auction house the next day and we were told that those items were from an estate of a woman who had passed away and had no family or friends. My guess is that maybe without friends, she really loved the items she collected over the years. Nothing happened after that night until one year later, close to the exact date that I got the box. It had sat undisturbed for one year. I didn't use the dresser much as I hung most everything up at this age. One morning, I woke up to the sound of a crack. It took me about 10 minutes to realize what it was. It was the jewelry box. It had a perfect break in the lid and the bottom. It was such a shame. I loved that box and I felt wrong throwing it out so we buried it in the backyard. I'm 21 now and still think of that box daily. Thank you so much for making another podcast where I can hear even more stories. Love, Jackie. Thank you, Jackie, for writing in your story. And what you said is pretty much right. There's two things that I think could have happened here. First, yes, she is still earthbound, especially if it was just an estate that was settled. Maybe she didn't pass that long ago. And people do tend to cling to items, and especially wood, glass. Those are really good conduits for holding energy. Here's my two ideas. Number one, 
yes, she did stay. Maybe she was just checking on where her things went, and that's why you didn't see her again. Another thing could be residual energy. Maybe that's what she did every single day, was go to her jewelry box, possibly had the same heart charm necklace, and maybe she laid it out just like that. And because the energy had been moved from one place to another, maybe that was her last kind of holding on to that as a memory replaying. But it's very nice that you didn't throw the box out. That's kind of like a respectful thing to kind of give it a proper burial. So props to you for that. Thank you so much for writing in. And I also look really forward to that story. I heard you say you're going to call in about why you use a nightlight. So I look forward to that. Thank you. I really enjoyed that story and I would love more like that. So please don't be afraid to call the 1-800 number, which is 1-877-260-3428. That number is free for you to call wherever you are in the world. And if you don't want to call, hate your own voice like I do. I hate listening to the playback. You can email it to me at selena at thehauntedestate.com or thehauntedestate.com up in that right corner that little envelope don't be afraid to click on that i would like to take this opportunity to talk about a really cool paranormal book and that is haunted by shionan mclaughlin um it's available on kindle and amazon and i'd like to tell you a little bit about shionan and give you a little snippet from her book that she was so generous to give us so Join Shionan McLaughlin on her journey as she walks you down a path of true spine-tingling tales of the paranormal from her actual experiences. Feel the chill of malevolent spirits lurking in the darkness, disembodied voices calling out, and much more in The Haunted, true stories of a ghost magnet. Shionan is a longtime paranormal investigator. She is also co-founder and lead investigator of the Paranormal Investigators of North Texas. When she was young, she knew something wasn't quite normal. Shionan could see and hear things, mostly people that others could not. She studied parapsychology and basics in high school, and that's when she discovered she had a gift, and it's a ghost magnet. And here's a snippet from Haunted. My younger cousin and I were playing in the complex swimming pool with several other children. I remember jumping into the deep end of the pool, followed by a boy who jumped in on top of me pushing me down in the pool where he held me underwater. I struggled with all my might to break free and swim to the top, to air. I could feel my heart racing in my chest as I fought to free myself from the weight of the boy. As I struggled more, I began to hear my heart pounding in my ears. I looked up to see the surface of the water just above me. The thought of how sad my mother would be flashed through my mind. I held my breath until I felt as though my lungs were going to explode in my chest. Then, I gave in, letting the air escape from my lungs. I could see the air bubbles floating upward, away from me, as my hands seemed to drip after them. After my life. Slowly, everything seemed to fade away, until there was nothing. There was no sound, no light, no tunnel, and no family waiting for me. There was only darkness. All around me. Oh, I love that. That sounds so good. So don't forget that that is available on Amazon Kindle. And if you go to the website, thehauntedestate.com, I will have a little picture. It will be of the front of the book. You click on that. It will take you directly to Shionin's site. So please check that out. Let her know who sent you. Call now and record your story at one eight 
Our next story comes from Megan, which is someone I actually know. How cool is that? So this is what it says. So I have a couple of ghost stories. When I was living in Woodstock, when I was living at my mom's house about a year and a half ago on Brenda Crescent, my brother and I were really into watching ghost shows and thought that we would buy a digital recorder to do our own EVPs at nighttime. My brother would do the EVPs when everyone was dead asleep between the times of 2.30 and 5 a.m. He would catch the same male and female voice. We've caught these voices saying random muffles, and at this time, I was planning to move to London, and my brother caught the female voice saying, Meg wants to go, in the area of where I slept. I was at a friend's house that night, but what was creepiest of them all was what would be considered a Class A EVP. It's a clear male voice saying, are you guys going to leave yet? I wasn't surprised that the house that we were living at was haunted, since I just had that feeling within the house, but mostly in my little brother's room. We've had friends stay over and sleep in his room and have the mirror fall off the wall for no reason. My brother refuses to sleep in his bedroom without the family dog, Daisy. Whenever I sleep in his bedroom when I'm visiting, I have Daisy in the bedroom with me, and each time I notice she won't lay down unless I make her. She'll walk around to the end of the bed, looking at the corner, the same corner where the mirror fell, in the bedroom, like she's paranoid or something. It's very creepy. I mentioned it to my brother, and he noticed that she does this too whenever she's in the bedroom with him. My mom's little chihuahua was barking at his bedroom door once, and my older brother went in with a digital recorder just out of curiosity, and he caught a voice saying hi. Once me and my older brother told the rest of the family that the house was haunted, and when we showed them the voices that we caught on the recorder, we thought that they were going to freak out, but they actually took it pretty well. It was very interesting what you could catch on a digital recorder. Also, I remember when I was very little in grade one, I would never forget the house I was living in at the time. I forget the street, but it's just down from Dairy Queen. It's, there's a bunch of townhouses, but ours was Unit 74. I remember being in my room at night and hearing something run up and down the hallway every single night. I also remember seeing stuff as a child at that house that I felt I would never be able to describe. The whole presence of the house was just very creepy. My mom would tell me about how my dad used to sleepwalk very often when they lived in that house, and he had zero history of sleepwalking before or after living in that place. I'm glad I was able to share my stories with you. Thank you, Megan, for sending your stories. I really appreciate it, as I only got a couple. I was really hoping for more stories, but I'm guessing once things get rolling and people hear the podcast, that there will be more. But for your story, I think it's really cool. There's a couple elements to that. First, the ghost in your house. It definitely doesn't sound residual, as it seems to be different things that are happening. And pets are extremely sensitive to goes they see things that we don't see and we don't know especially cats but i have three dogs hi max jackson molly (laughs) um and you know what they see things all the time and they're looking around and that just really freaks me out the fact that it's not 
completely freaking out is great, but it's very like aware and paranoid. Also, the fact that it's saying different snippets of conversation and seems to know things about you makes me think that it's definitely someone who's going to be hanging around for a while. But since nothing negative has really happened, I really wouldn't worry about it. As for the mirror, who knows? Maybe it's coincidence. I don't believe in coincidence, but you never know, right? And now your other house. When you're a child, just like animals, you have such a high perception for the paranormal and ghosts because you have this level of innocence and not being able to understand or explain what you're seeing. And also, one more, the sleepwalking. That is definitely, definitely cool that your dad went through that because personally, that's something that I go through. When I have a lot of activity going in my house or I've recently you know, been somewhere and maybe brought a little something home, One thing that I really do is talk really loudly and (laughs) run from my bed into the wall or the door. And that's a sign that I need to uh, take a little notice at what I've been doing. (laughs) But thank you so much for sending in your story. And I'm looking forward to hearing more from you. And on to our next story. Hello, my name is Mike and I'm currently living in the Gulf of Mexico working on an oil rig. But two years ago, I was living a degenerate bohemian lifestyle in Iowa City. At the time, I had three roommates. One of my roommates was a seriously crazy Vietnamese girl. She lived in the basement and was a painter. She had a huge obsession with Crowley from the TV show The Supernatural. And with her obsession of the show, she starts doing rituals in the basement and spelling magic with a K. For that 1900s flair, I guess. (laughs) Anyways... One night, me and the other roommates were sitting on the couch getting baked and watching TV when she comes upstairs and announces that she has a boyfriend in the spirit world and that his name is Winston. I guess Winston knew stuff about us and watched us. Well, with this information, we lose our minds and literally cannot stop laughing. She gets so mad and after that, she kept to herself. Fast forward a week. I was doing laundry in the house alone, and I was bent over when I heard a man's voice say hello in a British accent. I turned around predictably, predictably, but no one was there. I go back to my laundry and just hope that this doesn't happen again. That night, after dinner, the Vietnamese girl comes up and starts doing dishes with me, and out of nowhere, she casually says, Winston says you shouldn't mix colors with whites. I instantly regretted laughing at her. That was a really cool story, Mike. Thank you for sharing that with me. I really like that, actually, and I found a lot of that funny. A degenerate life, bohemian lifestyle. I feel like I want to live that every day of my life. But anyways, one thing that a lot of people don't realize is how easily they can get caught up in something that is terrible. And if she is down there doing rituals, you don't know who she's pulling up. Any kind of spirit or demon or what have you can say that there's something or whatever. And you need to be careful of possession. I know it's an extreme thing to say, but the truth is, is it does happen even if it's on a small level. I know people don't take it as seriously, but you need to be very, very cautious when reaching out to the other side. That's why I have to tell people do not use Ouija boards don't use anything that can be in communication with the dead unless you are completely educated in it which still it doesn't matter you can't tell it's like you know who's on the other side of that chat room you know when they told you when you were a kid 
Please never forget the three levels of possession, I guess you could say, which is infestation, oppression, and then possession. A little snippet about both of all of these. Infestation is when the entity makes itself known to you, which is the feeling of being watched, hearing knocks, scratching on walls, whispers. That's kind of where I feel like it was when you heard it, because personally, my own feeling is, yeah, it could have been a ghost, but this is always something to watch out for. Oppression. One of their favorite tactics is making it difficult for the target to sleep along those lines and then possession when the target is active and has free will and has been breached and the entity has access to the body so i'm glad that you're now in mexico have you heard from the girl do you know what's going on it'd be cool for an update if you have one of those please feel free to call or write in and tell us that story and now our last story which was sent in by emily fleming titled our family's ghost stories Our family has a spirit called Claire. So many times our family has experienced things caused by her. From small things like her calling my name and thinking that it was in my room, to feeling her caring touch when family members were sick in bed. And even the larger events, like completely mistaking her for my older sister standing right in front of me. One time, we had even had objects move around our entire kitchen, rearranged because she was upset about a poem I had written about her. There are many stories to be told about the spirits that visit and spirits I feel every day. Just let me know what you're looking for and anything specific. Well, Emily, thank you very much for your story, and I would love to hear more of your stories. I really don't want to be specific, as I would like to hear all your experiences and be able to share them with our listeners. It sounds like Claire is a bit of a resident house guest. I don't know if she was maybe a family member, or maybe just someone from the property or clinging to an item in your house. She doesn't sound um, residual at all, because she obviously has a personality and makes herself known. She probably considers herself a bit of a family member and if you like claire maybe she'll want to stay you can always call out loud let her know that um there is a light and and, you know she can move on to the next world but from what i hear it sounds like she's pretty comfortable where she is and, and being a part of your family it doesn't sound negative to me at all so thank you very much for sending in your story and i would just i would love to hear more of your family's events even if your family members could call in too thank you email your story or call and record it at one 260 so folks that is all the stories that i have for you today and as i said i hope that people will start calling in once they've heard the podcast and since we have a bit of time to burn i would really like to make these episodes around an hour not this time but you know in the future i'd like to give you guys a really cool movie idea i recently watched the movie called it follows here is a bit about it After a strange sexual encounter, a teenager finds herself haunted by nightmarish versions and the inescapable sense that something is after her. Honestly, I don't scare easily, and this movie actually had me feeling pretty nervous. I thought to finish this off today that I could go into some kind of spooky history. I love learning about things that happened in the olden days and that now are, you know really haunted places and stuff like that so today i thought we would talk about the Velisca murder house 
And here is a really cool article that I found. I will read it to you now. Sometime past the 12 midnight hour on Monday, June 10th, 1912, a person or persons entered the modest house in Villisca, Iowa, and bludgeoned to death eight people sleeping there, including two adults and six children aged 5 through 12. The killings became known as the Villisca Axe Murders and are easily the most notorious murders in Iowa history. The murder spawned nearly 10 years of investigations, repeated grand jury hearings, and a spectacular slander suit and murder trial, and numerous minor litigations and trials. The horrific crime made and broke political careers. Legislation was written in response to the murder, including the establishment of the current State Bureau of Criminal Investigation's predecessor. On Sunday evening, June 9th, 1912, Joe Moore and his family Sarah took their four children, Herman 11, Catherine 10, Boyd 7, and five-year-old Paul to the Children's Day service at the Presbyterian Church. Accompanying them were Lena 12 and Ina Stillinger. Stillinger, neighbors who had asked the parents permission to stay overnight with the parents' children. The Children's Day service was an end-of-the-year Sunday school program. Sarah Moore was a co-director and her children performed their little speeches and recitations along with the other Sunday school members. The service ended with a social mingling that lasted until at least 9.30 p.m. When they left on that cloudy, damp, cool night, no one suspected that neither the Moors nor their overnight guests would ever be seen alive again. They walked the three blocks to their home. Cookies and milk ended the festive evening and they all went to bed. Sometime after midnight, the killer, or killers, picked up Joe's axe from the backyard, entered the house, and bludgeoned to death all of its eight occupants. By 7.30 a.m. on June 10th, Mary Peckham, an elderly neighbor to the west, became concerned that the Moore's house seemed quite quiet and deserted. She called Joe's brother Ross, a local druggist who arrived at about 8 a.m. to look around. His cautious inspection of the downstairs revealed two figures covered in a sheet in the back bedroom, and he also saw blood on the bedstand. Ross stepped back and away from the crime scene, and he called Joe's hardware store, telling the employee, Ed Shelley, to fetch the marshal, Hank Horton, because something terrible had happened. Hank arrived at about 8.30 a.m., went through the house, and found, as he told Ross when he came out, somebody murdered in every bed. The partially cleaned murder weapon was left leaning against the south wall of the downstairs bedroom where the visiting Stillinger girls were found. The killer had added two bizarre touches to the murder scene. The first was a four-pound piece of slab bacon leaning against the wall next to the axe. The murderer had also searched dresser drawers for pieces of clothing to cover mirrors in the house, the glass on the entry doors, and on the kitchen table was a plate of uneaten food and a bowl of bloody water. All the victims were found in their beds, their heads covered with bedcloths, and all their skulls had been battered 20 to 30 times with the blunt end of an axe. The ceiling in the parents' bedroom and the children's room upstairs showed gouge marks, apparently made by the upswing of the axe. 
Though Lena Stillinger's nightgown had been pushed up and had been left exposed, doctors concluded that she had not been sexually abused. Lena also had a blood stain on her knee and an alleged defensive wound on her arm. The Moore Stillinger funeral service were held in Villisca's town square on June 12, 1912, with thousands in attendance. National Guardsmen blocked the street as a hearse moved towards the fired house where the eight victims lay. Their caskets, not, display, not on display during the funeral, were later carried on several wagons to the Villisca Cemetery for the burial. The funeral was 50 carriages long. There is the history of the Villisca murder house. The really crazy thing is there have been so many accounts. All those TV shows, ghost hunting TV shows, have been in the Villisca house. It's somewhere where I would really, really like to go into. You can actually spend a night. I think it's uh, just around $430, and that's for you, up to six guests. You can stay the night by yourself and kind of conduct your own little investigation. They have daytime tours and night tours, and let's get a bunch of us who wants to get together and do that. It's really morbid and sad. I can't believe what happened. And there's the fact that they haven't completely found who did it, but they do have a lot of speculations. I'll leave that up to you to do some research and, and find their findings. But if you visit VilliscaIowa.com, that is the official site. You can book a night to stay. You can read some testimonials, look at the site, some pictures. Some I think there's some reenactment videos on YouTube. So check those out. Don't forget to visit our website, thehauntedestate.com. Email or call and tell us your story at 1-877-260-3428. Thank you for tuning in to The Haunted Estate. <laughs>